Welcome to the Visionaries Podcast, sponsored by Alchemy. I'm your host, Jim Roos. The Visionaries Podcast shines a light on financial institutions at the cutting edge of digital transformation, providing you with the tips and tricks to elevate your digital game no matter what size your organization is. In today's episode of the Visionaries Podcast, we have the privilege of sitting down with Mark Huffnagel, the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Corning Credit Union in New York. Join us as we delve into the remarkable journey that has led Corning Credit Union to achieve recognition as one of the best credit unions in New York State. Discover the strategies, values, and innovations that set this institution apart and continue to shape its future success. Also, get a taste of Corning's approach to using technology to better serve members and stand out in a very competitive landscape. Corning Credit Union stands as a testament to the power of cooperative principles, adaptability to change, and a member-centric approach. Its journey from a small employee cooperative to one of the best credit unions in New York really illustrates its enduring commitment to serving its members and enriching the financial lives of individuals and families in the Corning area and beyond. So, Mark, before we discuss what makes Corning Credit Union a Forbes award-winning credit union, can you share a bit about your extensive career at Corning, and can you give us a brief overview of Corning Credit Union's journey and evolution over the years? Sure. Well, good morning, Jim, and thanks for having me today. So I'll start with just a little bit of background on Corning Credit Union, and we've got a really rich history and one that I'm pretty proud to be a part of. And from our start back in the 1930s to support employees of what was then Corning Glassworks, we've had tremendous growth and success in the years since. Today in 2023, we sit here with $2.4 billion of assets and nearly 160,000 members in all 50 states across the country. Uh, we serve four primary markets in New York, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and South Carolina, and we continue to be successful and grow, all while earning industry-leading net promoter scores from our membership and being a fantastic place to work at the same time. So as far as my career goes, it's a bit of a funny journey that I've taken at the credit union. So uh, back in my childhood, I grew up in the Corning area, and I went to college in Rochester, New York. And after my freshman year, like everybody, I was looking for a summer job. And I had some friends that just so happened to be interns at the credit union working in the branches as member service reps. And they said, Mark, come join us. You know, it's a great place to work. You're going to love it. So I did, and I instantly fell in love with the organization, the people, the culture, the attitude, and I wanted to come back again and again over the years. But the next summer, I had an opportunity I couldn't pass up. I was offered an internship with IBM doing software development work, and since I was studying computer science, it was kind of a no-brainer to go down to the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area and work with them. And I stayed on with IBM until after I graduated. I moved full-time with them, moved to Raleigh-Durham, and frankly thought that you know that's where my career would be, the entirety of it. Then in 2008, my dad was sick, and so I decided to come back home while he recovered, and it was soon really clear to me that I wasn't moving 600 miles away from home again. My family was simply too important. And, you know, if you think back 15 years ago, remote work existed, but it was a little bit different than it is today, you know, and I, I just didn't think I could have the career that I wanted to have being remote with the technology we had 15 years ago. So made the really difficult decision to leave IBM and started job hunting locally, and I thought, what about the credit union? I love that summer I spent there. And guess what? There just so happened to be a position open at the credit union overseeing our software development team, which was right up my alley and a perfect fit for my skills. And it was just one of those funny things where life sort of happens and the stars seem to align. So I started back at the credit union in 2009. 
and just started getting involved as time went on with other areas, uh, you know, beyond software development into IT operations, into what we used to call online services. Uh, I had an opportunity to join our senior leadership team and work on strategy and innovation. And then late in 2016, uh, our CEO asked if I would move into the CIO role. And since that time, I've been focused on digital transformation. So in a nutshell, that's my story. You know, it's interesting to hear the stories of banking and credit union leaders. You know, there's always a great story there. But when you think about it, your change of careers or change of paths of careers really came at a really instrumental time in the banking industry. I mean, it's right after the financial crisis. And every moment since then, the financial services industry has been trying to catch up to the rest of the world. And the area where they have to catch up the most is certainly in technology and information services. And it's it's interesting because being named, obviously, the number three credit union by Forbes for New York State is an enormous accolade. But it takes a lot. There's a lot of moving parts in any financial institution, especially now that we're having to make all these changes since the financial crisis of 2008. So what are some of the key strategies or initiatives that Corning adopted that really contributed to this recognition, but more importantly, has contributed to the success and certainly pretty good growth for Corning? Absolutely. And, and I don't think it's any one thing. You know, Jim, I think it really has to do with decades of building trust and serving our members and serving our community. And it's the totality of that hard work from our team that spans those decades that's built that brand recognition executed on the things we need to do and built that trust in the communities to, to earn this for us. Um, so yes, there's technology components, and I'm sure we can talk about those things, and there's specific strategies to execute. But if you don't have a great team of people that's focused on a mission and building trust with your members, you have to have that baseline to even get started. We all talk about the importance of our people, the importance of our foundation of trust and security and everything in the organization. But When people aren't going to the branch, when people aren't always interacting with other people as they did even just 12, 15 years ago, you have to find new differentiation points, new places where you can stand out to be different. And every financial institution sounds the same at the surface. What's below the surface of Corning? You know, what really makes it so that a person that moves into one of your market areas comes to your organization to open an account and stays there beyond the people. I think if you go back to our vision statement as an organization, it's it's a pretty lengthy statement, but the key components are that we strive to provide our members better service than they, than they receive anywhere else in the world. And that's a really lofty goal. And frankly, it's one that's only gotten more and more difficult as time has gone on and digital transformation has gone on. But our vision statement goes on to talk about We want our members to love us. And I challenge you to find another vision statement of another company that talks about an emotion like love because it's really unique. And we want our members to love us so that they then convince their friends, their family, their coworkers to join the credit union as well. So I share that with you, Jim, because I feel like, you know, even whether it's it's a technology introduction to a financial institution, um, at the end of the day, word of mouth and our members loving us and telling their friends and family that maybe moved to the area or looking for a new FI to join us instead, that's the most powerful thing we can ask for. And then how do we build relationships with them from there on, whether it's through the call center and the branch or digitally? Those are the places where we can execute, get those new members to love us, and the cycle continues. And, and I really think despite technology and digital transformation, that's a big part of the secret sauce. So 
I know the marketplaces you serve, and you have some very, very big and formidable competitors. When you talk about digital transformation, when you came in in 2009, what did you first say, we've got to work on this, because if we don't get this right pretty quickly from a technology and innovation perspective, we may not be here in 2023. There are definitely technology things that we had to do at the time, right? And and one simple example is we knew we had to do a conversion of our digital banking platform. We knew we needed to create a new platform that could be more innovative for us, a platform we could plug into better and, and use as a, a springboard to move forward. That that was a big part of it on the technology side. But again, back to, to people and culture, it's really having our teams understand, and we still do this every single day, the reasons why we exist aren't changing despite digital transformation, right? We still exist to serve our members. That's why we're here. But the how, the how we do it every day, that changes over time. That changes because of technology. That changes because of changes in consumer expectations. So it's getting our team to understand that if you work in the branch or you work in the call center and we start to see more and more members doing things digitally, that isn't a threat to what you do. That isn't a threat to your job. And having people understand that that's just an evolution of the how, right? And yes, we may have fewer touch points with our members in the branches and in the call center compared to 10 or 15 years ago. That simply means the opportunity to use those touch points to solidify and grow the relationship are that much more important. So, you know, I, there's definitely the technology pieces, but at the end of the day, to me, it's having everyone in the company understand what we're doing, understand what our why is, and that our how is going to evolve and have them see what that means to them so they can participate. Once you have that, culturally, you're aligned with where you're trying to go, and it becomes much easier from a change management standpoint when it comes to technology, et cetera. So you've been recording for 13 years. During those 13 years, Obviously, not everything goes as planned. What has been your personal biggest challenge in implementing digital transformation at Corning over the last 13 years? So that's a a lengthy list. You know, there's certainly a lot of challenges. um, But I think one of the biggest ones is you can think you know what the right solution is today for tomorrow. And you can do all the research in the world. You can talk with different companies or fintechs. You can talk with other credit unions. You can do all the research you want. You can then make an investment or make a decision to move forward with something. And then in an instant, something can come and disrupt that, right? And I think ChatGPT is a really good example. There's a tool that nine months ago basically didn't exist, right? At least for most of us as consumers to use. Now I use it every single day to do my job. It's changing the way we work, the way we live, and the way we consume. And it didn't exist nine months ago. So, you know, think of maybe AI decisions that any company may have made a year ago that they've invested a lot of money and time and effort into. And now maybe they're rethinking some of those because of the advent of something like ChatGPT coming out of seemingly nowhere. So there's a lot of examples, you know, I could cite internally where we've done that um, and, and things have been disrupted or disrupted rather. And then you've got to choose. Do we stay the course? Do we pivot? And a big part of that is, you know, how do you prepare your organization and your leadership team and your board to understand that this world is very, very dynamic and we're not going to make the right choice every single time, but we need to be smart about the choices we make. So if we fail, we fail fast. So that's interesting. I will say that in the last year, since November of last year, the number of times a person has said, I have used ChatGPT 
I could count on two fingers, which is interesting. I bring it up, but nobody has proactively said, I use it in some way, shape, or form every day. So how are you using ChatGPT at your job, Mark? Yeah, a lot of different ways. You know, I we've been doing a lot of hiring recently in the technology space at the credit union. And I will often ask ChatGPT for suggestions on what a job description could look like. Um, as I prepare to do interviews, I might ask it, you know, for this specific skill set, what are some great questions I could ask somebody that's, you know, interviewing with the credit union? And, you know, time and time again, maybe there are themes in my head that aren't fully baked. And I can just put those themes into chat GPT and sort of have it fill in the details for me, right? And it's not because I don't want to do that work or I'm incapable of doing that work. But, you know, my, my brain cells are often better spent over here doing something else. So I use it as a tool to augment what can sometimes be busy work. So th- those are just some, you know, quick off the cuff examples of how I use it. How do you see maybe ChatGPT impacting the way you interact with members in the future? I think it's a great question and one that nobody truly knows the answer to. And, and I'll give you a good example, Jim. Um, if you go to our marketing website, um, it's it's getting dated. And we are kicking off a project to evaluate how do we move that forward. And one of the challenges to our digital experience team around that is let's not just go rebuild what we have and make it look nicer. How do we anticipate members and prospects are going to want to use and interact with websites in the future? And what are the potential AI components of that? Not just AI in general, but uh, generative and conversational AI. You know, if you think about today, if you want to figure out how to fix your ice maker in your refrigerator, First place you go is probably YouTube to figure it out, right? You don't call the company or you don't look in the owner's manual. You go to YouTube and somebody's figured it out and they've showed you. So what does that mean for financial services? Um, what's that mean for what websites should be? And I think AI, particularly generative AI, is a huge part of that. The risk or challenge that comes with it is back to what I said at the beginning, right? It's we spent decades building trust in, in serving our members and our communities. How do we make sure that on the AI side, we can still continue to build that trust um, in what looks to be a different way? You know, it's interesting on the Banking Transform podcast that I also do, had an interview with a gentleman by the name of Brian Romley, and it ended up being a two-part interview around ChatGPT, the the promise and peril of ChatGPT. And it was interesting because he, he took us down a path that said, in the future, we may have the ability to use generative AI as a way to communicate as a customer service rep does today, but with all the information continually updated for that individual consumer with every interaction being stored and then referred back to in the future. And you think about that almost like a live-in concierge for financial services, and it's really an interesting vision. Now, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but you in the position of being in charge of innovation, digital transformation, and and all information technology, you really are at the helm of the interaction or the intersection of the consumer, the member, and, and your organization. So when you look at how you've transformed Corning Credit Union from a technology standpoint, what are some products or services that really make it so that you say, you know what, that I, I, that's a claim to fame. I really like the way we've done that. How have you changed banking for your credit union members? First and foremost, 
everything that we've done has been a, a complete team effort. We have a fantastic team, you know, here at Corning Credit Union that can execute on all these different things and give input and, and make sure that we make good decisions. Um, you know, a big part of my role around digital transformation is how do we find the intersection between what the business and our members need and the technology capabilities that we have or that we can acquire you know, and make those things mesh together to create solutions. And, you know, this this one is going back towards the beginning of my career at the credit union, but we had spent some time looking at CRM, specifically Salesforce, uh, back then, because we understood that we're in a relationship business and digital or not, we're still in the relationship business. And one of the, the best ways to you know, foster a relationship is to have data and have our frontline people that are working with our members have a view into what's going on with this member, what's important to them, what issues are they facing, and how do we solve them? And we knew at the time that a CRM of some sorts was critical to being able to do that. Uh, but frankly, it wasn't in the cards back then. You know, just the, the CRM industry wasn't as mature and, and it was much more expensive than it is today. So long story short, we developed our own basically CRM to aggregate data across different systems, you know, so it's it's core banking data, it's, it's digital banking data, it's mortgage data, all these things live in different systems, so that our front lines, when a member came in or called on the phone, could see a more holistic picture of that member's relationship with the credit union, and then they could use that to build and grow the relationship. So that was, I would say, for 2010, 2011 time period, pretty innovative, and it, it changed the mindset within the organization over time from you came in and you asked for X and we'll give you X and we're going to do it really, really well for you, Jim. We're going to make you love us to we're still going to do that for you, but we're going to know a little bit more to give you that personalization, give you that extra, know a little bit more about who Jim is and what makes him tick so that we can provide maybe a better offer. Say, hey, you know, if you move this from the savings account to this money market, it's going to benefit you and, and not hurt you anyway. So it really helped us build our relationships by having that. And I'm, I'm happy to say that We've transitioned from that system to within the last two years, we've made a big investment into Salesforce and we're working on building out this enterprise 360 view into our members. We're really excited to get that going and see what it can do to build personalized relationships. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast, Alchemy Technologies. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Welcome back to the Fissionaries Podcast, sponsored by Alchemy Technology. You know, you mentioned Salesforce, and it's an extraordinary platform. It's an extraordinary organization. But it's interesting, I had a, a discussion with a person from Salesforce, gosh, it's probably three weeks ago now, and they said, you know, the thing that challenges them the most, the thing that frustrates them the most is organizations that buy the product 
and don't implement against it. It just makes for good reports, but they don't really take it that final mile to build that interaction with customers or members or um, consumers. And, you know, it's interesting because you have to really balance the human side with the technological side. When you look at the next two years of Corning, how are you going to hopefully make it so that every one of your employees has a handle on every one of your members and your members know that you know them. Because I, I argue about this all the time. I have two financial institutions that work with me every day. I know they know everything about me. The problem is they don't show that they know me through what they say, through what they do, through what they offer. How are you hoping to do this going forward? It's a great question, and I think it's the one of the biggest challenges out in front of us. And I think it's going to be continue to be a challenge just as things evolve and consumers continue to expect more and more personalization. I know I do in my daily life, and this isn't just about financial services, Jim, either, right? It's it's everything we do. It's it's retail, it's hospitality, it's healthcare, it's financial services, it's all these industries. So it's a big technology problem that is ultimately executed by people. And what I mean by that is what we're going to continue to do over the next couple of years is integrate data, right, from different systems so that we can know the interactions our members are having with us and what their needs are and what's important to them. Then it's taking it a step further with the people side, right? So if you do come into the branch, if you do call into the call center and we have that unique opportunity to build that relationship, how do we make sure our people understand how to use that tool to let you know we know what's important to you, to not just do what you asked, but to do what you asked and then take it a step further? And then on top of it, it's what other tools should we have, whether it's you know email marketing, whether it's putting appropriate ads in the mobile app that are personalized to you, um, whether it's, it's SMS type marketing, you know, things on social media. How do we develop the, the right tools and data sets around that to be able to get those personalized offers or experiences to you at the right time with the right message without overwhelming you? Yeah. And, and it's interesting is you've referenced it, you know, without saying it specifically is, you know, to basically democratize the data and insights so that all your employees have a feel for what each member needs and is doing and in their life cycle. And it, and it's really interesting because the, the opportunities are immense right now. And, it, you know, you have a, a role in your organization that you're kind of like the, the holder of the keys to this kingdom of what we can do. And, and, you know, another area that you hold the keys to is the collaboration with fintech firms and third-party providers for composable solutions. You know, you look back at when you started Corning, you know, we almost had to buy it all or buy nothing. Now, even with Salesforce now, you can buy a smaller solution if you say, I've got to use this for lending services, for instance, or new account openings. And and you, that didn't exist, you know, back 10, 12 years ago. How are you using collaborations with third-party providers to innovate at scale, but also to be able to bring solutions to the marketplace faster than an annual plan would have allowed? It's a good question, Jim, and a timely one, because uh, we have a board meeting tonight, and I'm going to talk to the board for a while about fintech and what that means and um, you know what our approach is to it, because it's something that you know banks and credit unions ignore at their own peril. It, it can be daunting, it can be challenging, but if you stick in your, your head in the sand around it, 
the future is going to be bleak. Um, and, and as far as fintech goes, there's a couple realities that I think we need to understand. One, in a lot of ways, fintechs can do things better, faster, and cheaper than we as, as community banks and credit unions can do. And that's okay. That just means we need to understand what's going on. And then on top of that, we need to understand that you know, fintechs are usually focused on a slice of functionality or a slice of our business model. So it, it can be a fallacy to think that there's, you know, this fintech's going to come along someday that's really going to destroy our business model or, or really, really hurt us. I don't think that's the likely scenario. It's more of the death by a thousand cuts, right? So I, I think just setting that baseline is really, really important. But as far as what we do, we get out there, we go to you know, fintech events, we participate in other industry events, we go to webinars. And this isn't just me, this is people across our uh, IT and non IT team at the credit union that are interested in what's going on out there, because none of us have the answers to all these challenges, none of us could possibly, you know, understand every fintech that's out there. And I think if you, depending on how you define it, I think in 2022, globally, there's something like 85 or 90 billion dollars in in investment in new fintech startups you know that is an amount of scale that none of us can compete with directly so i think it's all about being open-minded being involved and making sure that the decision makers and leaders in the organization understand the the threats and the opportunities that come with fintech and understand the peril that will exist if we ignore it so if you're having to solve a problem such as you, you want faster and more efficient new account opening or better loan application processes that are shorter, faster, easier, or you want a security solution, or you want a communications platform that allows you to use multiple communication channels in a simplified way, that takes partnership with usually third-party providers as opposed to building it from within. When you're meeting with your board... And they come back with, yeah, but we have a core provider that's supposed to be able to do all that. How do you work with that dynamic and talk to your board about the fact that, yeah, that's true, but I need to do it today. And the only way to do it today is, again, to get these composable solutions, maybe not from fintechs, but from organizations that are third-party providers. How do you present that to the board For them to understand that, yeah, it sounds like I'm double dipping financially, but the reality is it's the only way we're going to be able to innovate at scale and speed. I think that becomes somewhat self-evident when you just try to look at at roadmaps of whether it's a core provider or other traditional provider and the speed to market on some of these things. And then you take an honest look at other maybe non-traditional providers or fintech providers that are out there, the, the story tends to write itself, has been my experience. And the way that we've approached that primarily is really through a platform strategy. So back to what I was talking about with Salesforce. So when we moved to Alchemy back in 2019, we've tried to invest in platforms that other fintechs or third parties are going to be happy to integrate into. So when I talk with fintechs that are maybe their presentation layer is going to be through digital banking, nine times out of 10, they say we either already integrate with Alchemy or it's on our roadmap, right? When I talk with fintechs, I was at a fintech event, you know, six months ago, and I met with, I think it was 24 fintechs over two days. And I asked each and every one of them, do you integrate with Salesforce? And one told me no, and it's because they had a 
product that directly competes with Salesforce. So that made sense. And the other 23 either said yes, or we will when somebody asks us to. So I think that power of, you know, the the industry leading platforms, even if it's not just for financial services, uh, is evident. So by having such a strategy, we can really reduce the, the time and cost of those integrations, which historically had been the biggest hurdles to getting things done quickly. You know, you, you mentioned Alchemy, and, and obviously the, they're the sponsor of this podcast, but it's interesting because firms like Alchemy allow you also to leverage their skills to determine who are the best providers and then use them as a caveat to saying, okay, I now feel more comfortable in partnering with that organization. And it and it really brings so much power to the smaller financial institution that wouldn't have had the ability to necessarily go directly, even to some service providers. And you mentioned, you know, it's interesting how all these providers have worked with or are in the process of working with all the other ones. You know, you mentioned the or, one organization that said, well, we don't in- integrate with Salesforce. It's amazing how many organizations that compete with each other integrate with each other because they're both getting different parts of the pie. You know, to make all this happen takes leadership that's willing to accept change and to take some risks. But just as importantly, it takes a workplace culture that makes it all work. What do you do as an organization to cultivate a culture that really replicates the love that you have as part of your branding and empowers the employees to really work on that behalf of building that brand and, and showing that, making that brand come to life? So this is something we talk about as a, as a credit union team and as a leadership team all the time. And one of the things that we say is, we don't ever want our culture and our values just to become words on a piece of paper. Um, and, you know, when I was at IBM, one of my roles was a, a consulting role, and I had an opportunity to go into all sorts of companies across the globe and work with their teams. And you would often see their values on the wall or, you know, in an a onboarding notebook that they would give you. And, Jim, time and time again, those are words on a piece of paper. You don't see people living and, and breathing it, right? And we work hard. Our whole team works hard every single day to make sure that that doesn't happen. So it is absolutely clear to all of us at the credit union what our values are, how we move forward, and, and what our organization is all about. And that comes through to our members. Um, and and I think one of the things to share is our net promoter score, you know, consistently is above 80, which is out of this world. It's a fantastic net promoter score. It's something we're really proud of. And we work with a member loyalty group to measure our net promoter score. And on the relationship level, four of the last 11 quarters, we've been number one on the member loyalty group side of, of credit unions from a net promoter standpoint. And one, I'm really proud of that. But two, that doesn't happen accidentally. That happens because people are empowered to take care of our members. And that's because not just leadership, but the entire team is on board with what we're doing. And the the thing that I love about the credit union, I think more than anything, is the values that our people exhibit inside and outside of work are often the same values that we expect you know, in the office. So my point being, it's our people aren't, you know, putting on a, a hat or a mask to come into work every day. They're just living the values that they live all the time. And that's the power of our team that makes us so successful. You know, love is a tough word. You know, you said it earlier, and it's one that you either have it or you don't. And as you said, you can't just have it on a sheet of paper or on a wall 
because it's not saying, oh, we're going to be good to our members and all the things that we always used to say. This takes it a step above. And, it, you know, it's interesting, the financial side of that is, I will guess that you also have a very low turnover rate and you're able to acquire employees that you want because you're standing out there differently and exhibiting it all the time, which gets you the Forbes Award for being a top credit union in New York. And, you know, when you look to the future, and and I risk this because I you used to say, oh, what's your five to 10 year vision? And we, we know now that we can't be looking five to 10 years out. We're lucky if we can go 18 months out. But if I just looked at your to-do list, what's the one or two things that you really want to achieve in the next year? Continuing our platform strategy, continuing to invest in that, continuing to roll the tools out to our team that they need to see that 360 view of our member and, and build that relationship. So that is a really key component of it. And then the other thing that I really want to achieve in the next year has to do with taking that onto the digital side, right? So all that data that we're working to integrate, um, those relationships that we're working to build and the tools we give our team to, to foster those relationships, how do we take that same stuff and do it digitally? So whether that's through more engagement on the, the digital app, whether it's through digital marketing, et cetera, uh, that's what I want want us to achieve over the next year. Okay. So the last question is always very similar when I do these interviews, which is, Okay, so organizations listen to the Fissionary podcast basically to find out what do I need to do? So if you were to give recommendation to a financial institution as to where do I start, where is that? It's a, it's a really good and tough question. And, you know, there are a couple things that come to mind, Jim, when you say that. One is, I think to recognize that it's really hard work. It's a there are no absolutes in this. Uh, the world is changing so fast. And and just recognizing that the, the world is changing fast and you're not always going to make the right decision is, is the first step. I think the second one is really to listen and learn, right? None of us knows the answers to any of these things, but collectively we can make good decisions. So, you know, have opinions and ideas and share them, but be very willing to listen and learn and be humble and be wrong. Uh, I would also say to focus not just inside your organization. That's really important. You have to have a, a, a clean house and you have to make sure the ship is going in the right direction. But you have to have people focused outside the organization too. Like I said, organizations ignore fintech and what's happening at their own peril. And often that's because they just don't want to look outside the organization. They just want to look inside. So whether it's a, a new role or set of responsibilities for someone, you got to be out there and you got to got to see what's going on. And then I, I think finally, this is so important to us is it's that power of the team across the board, right? It's, it's, we, not me. It's making sure there's alignment across the organization of where we're going and what we're trying to do. It's the culture and the values and, and loving them and living them every single day. Um, and making sure that your the partners you choose to work with have similar values, similar cultures, uh, and they're aligned with your goals too, because like we said, none of us can do it ourselves individually, and none of us as organizations can do it ourselves either. So we have to find the right partners inside and outside our organization to be successful. Mark, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. You know, it's interesting. Every one of these interactions I have with community banks, community credit unions, small banks, you know, it, it's interesting how you can feel the emotional level of the people that I interview connecting 
to their organization. And that is something that, you know, we take for granted sometimes, but it's very hard to do. But it's paying off at Corning Credit Union. It's very clear as you're moving forward and, and you're having fun. And that, that at the end of the day, that helps a lot. Coming to work every day with all the challenges we have in our business life and our personal lives and our the surrounding environment we're in to enjoy what you're doing. And, and I really appreciate you being on the show. It's obviously you do like what you're doing. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the time today. Thanks for listening to the Visionaries Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the deep dive into all the tips and tricks you can use to elevate your digital game. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others inside your organization and outside. Post about it on social media or just leave a thumbs up and a comment. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasledge, and audio and video engineer, Chris Fafalias. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Until next time, remember, being the best is not always a smooth road, but it's always worth the journey. <laughs>